Hello, Vol fans. This is Nathaniel Rutherford here of Vol Basketball Fever, coming in right before the intro of the show here to let you know that I did not mention this in the podcast, but we have a tournament pick'em going here for Vol Basketball Fever on ESPN, their tournament bracket challenge. Go find it on my Twitter handle at Mr. Underscore Rutherford or at the Vol Basketball Fever Twitter handle, which is at Vol Hoops Fever. The winner of the 2022, the inaugural Vol Basketball Fever Tournament Bracket Challenge will get a $25 gift card to Alumni Hall to go buy some more Vol merchandise. I'm sure whoever wins it already has a bunch, but hey, a $25 gift card will get you some nice stuff at Alumni Hall. So again, go check it out. It is the ESPN Bracket Tournament Challenge. It is on my Twitter handle at Mr. Underscore Rutherford or at Vol Hoops Fever on Twitter. It should be the pinned tweet there, and it may also pin it on to our Facebook, which is Vol Basketball Fever on Facebook. Now, on to the show. You're listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, your number one source for discussions about the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Now, get ready for a new episode of Vol Basketball Fever. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode here of the Vault Basketball Fever Podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford here with Gene Henley, bringing you another episode of the show. We're in the postseason. We're March Madness, and Gene, we have a ton to cover, a lot of good news, a lot of interesting conversations to have. Before we get into all that, I want to say thank you to all of you who are here. If it's your first time listening, thank you so much. You can subscribe to our podcast with Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify. Uh, we're on all kinds of places, iHeartRadio as well as The Place, so Check us out wherever you get your podcasts. We're also here on YouTube. If you're watching this, please subscribe to the channel while you're here and give this video a like and also turn on the notifications as well. And leave your comments down below, your thoughts on anything we cover here on this episode. If you all tuned into the live stream I did Sunday night, thank you all so much for that. And if you want to go back and catch the replay of it, you can check it out just on the YouTube channel. That should be one of the most recent videos on there that was streamed Sunday and the replay is up available for anyone to watch. Well, Gene, for the first time, in 43 years, first time since 1979, Tennessee is the SEC tournament champion. I still can't believe, like, it still hasn't, I don't know, it still hasn't really sunk into me yet that, that Tennessee did that, that they actually won three straight games in the SEC tournament to win the title. You, you beat Mississippi State, which in a, a pretty handily, in your first game of the quarters. You beat Kentucky and really, I mean, led, led that one for, I think, pretty much the whole game, too. And beat them by uh, what five or five to seven points. I can't remember the final. I think 69-62, so seven points. And then you come out and lead wire to wire, jump out to a fourteen nothing lead over a surprising Texas A&M squad, and never trailed in that one. They, they got got it down to five points at one point. But even then, I didn't feel I didn't really feel that nervous. I was a little nervous, but I didn't feel that that you know that sense of dread coming on or anything. And Vescovy goes out and has nine points on his own, hits a three, uh, gets a steal, or he, I think he. Hit a three. I remember how this happened. I know he made three free throws, and then he got the steal and hit another three. I think is what happens. I mean, he he had a sequence that was incredible. Um, Tennessee wins it. Kennedy Chandler goes and gets the SEC tournament MVP, which I think he deserves it. I think you you could have made a case for Josiah Jordan James, but I think Kennedy Chandler was well deserving of that. But Gina, I had to look it up because I was curious. 
before this weekend, the last time Tennessee won the SEC tournament title, Rick Barnes was 24 years old and was an assistant at Davidson, and it was still eight years away before getting his first head coaching job at George Mason. And now he's been coaching as a head coach for 35 un- uninterrupted years and has like 700 plus victories as a head coach. Like that that's how long it was. Rick Barnes was 24 and now he's 67. So he was he'd been he graduated from Lenore Ryan like 2 years before Tennessee won the you know the last time they'd won the SEC tournament. So that is how long just kind of put in perspective how long it's been since Tennessee had won it. I can't believe the streak's over. And I, I like I am legitimately like I, I was obviously very happy Sunday and if you guys tuned in the live stream you saw just kind of my reaction to that and also the NCAA tournament, which we'll get to in a second. But Gene, this team is worth I mean, we've talked about it I think a couple times here on this podcast about that loss on the road to Kentucky, the blowout loss in, in Lexington. That was that was a turning point for Tennessee's season. If you look back at and track just Tennessee's I guess their their uh their uptick in play and, and how they've played since then that's where the turning point was they've only lost two games since then and it was a one point loss on the road to texas and then a a loss on the road to arkansas in a game where we we belabor the point about the officiating and the offense in that one but you know it's still a, a closely contested game on the road there those are the only two losses tennessee's had both true road games both against you know uh, uh, teams that are in the ncaa tournament now and tennessee went on to again They've now won seven, eight straight games. I forget how many in a row now, but now they're the SEC title, SEC tournament champions. And that, that's something that I legit never expected to say. And I think this team deserves a lot. Of, there's a lot of players on this team that deserve a lot of credit. And Rick Barnes deserves a lot of credit, but there's just a lot of credit to be given uh, for this team for really just fighting through it and gelling in the appropriate time. Yeah, it was, it was huge. Um, you know, when you're talking about 43 years, it's crazy when you start looking at droughts, Georgia football, 1980, um, you know, Tennessee basketball, SC championship, 1979. I mean, when you're talking about droughts, sometimes like, you know, you can have that sort of doubt creep in, I guess, when anything kind of starts to happen. Uh, not so much for the players. I, I think it's overstated how players feel about these certain these sorts of things. So I just don't think that it, it doesn't matter to them. Like, what does, what does Josiah care? I mean, what, what does Vescovy, what, what can he wear on his chest? I mean, Brandon Huntley Hatfield, what can they wear about the, the drought? They've been there for a year, two years, three years. Um, I mean, but they hear, I mean, it's, it's more for the fans. Like, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're angst that I guess that could happen. So, you know, I watched and I, you know, I, I turned it away when it was 14, nothing. Um, and then I kind of just kind of tuned in and checked in and checked in and, there was ever a point. It's one of those games that kind of got close, but it never felt like Tennessee was not in control of. Um, I found it true that they kind of used the, la- the same lineup for the last nine minutes of the game. Um, you know, Fulkerson was in there, uh, like Ziegler, Vescovy, James, and uh, Chandler. Um, that And that's a winning lineup. But, I mean, mm-hmm. heck, you get a couple couple TV timeouts in there. But, you know, it's like Barnes was just like, this is the lineup that's going to take us home. And you got some hungry guys in that lineup. I mean, heck, who wanted that more than John Folks? Uh, and there's something to be said for the want to. Uh, and, you know, when you're a guy who's been there as long as he has and has been through as many things he's been through, his, his, whose role has adjusted so many times throughout the course of his career, there's not going to be a person that wants that more than him. So he deserves to be on the court in that moment. Josiah Jordan James, a person that has, you know, obviously had, you know, not, I mean, maybe up and down, but, however you want to frame it, he's been through things um, 
there and, and for him to kind of go out, have the big game. I mean, double-double in, in, the, in the title game is it, huge. Vescovy, with that, with that huge sequence, Chandler made so many plays. I mean, like you've got, uh, you've got a group of guys that it mattered to them to bring it home. You know, like even, if guys, even guys that didn't even have good games. I mean, we, we all know that when Tennessee shoots the ball like they did last night or yesterday, they're going to be tough to beat. Uh, I mean, 12 or 28 is going to win you a lot of games. When you shoot better from two-point range than you do from I – mean, when you shoot better from three-point range than you do from two, which is what they did yesterday, um, you're going to win a lot of games. And you're going to win a lot of games pretty handily. But also when you hold an A&M team that kind of likes to get some good momentum by hitting you know, threes, hold them to like 20% from three, you're going to win a lot of games as well. Like it was a perfect storm for this program to go out and get this win in that, in that fashion which is uh, – it was a little short of dominating, but it was it was certainly controlled. And, uh, and, again, you know, credit to, you know, to Rick Barnes, you know, credit to that team, you know, that staff, you know, and those guys for getting the job done because I'd imagine there were probably times where everybody's like, well, this is going to fall apart. How's it going to fall apart? And they never let that happen last night, yesterday. Yeah, I think – it was Ben McKee of the Swain event who said this first and I, I tweeted it out and then he tweeted it out too. And I gave him credit for it uh, in my tweet, but Tennessee in, in the SEC tournament, Gene, and the, you know, the grand total of 120 minutes of game time they played, they trailed for a total of one minute, nine seconds for the 120 minutes they played. Like you said, it, it didn't really feel particularly, none of the games felt dominant, but it was just, it was a consistent, okay, we have the lead. We're not going to give it up feeling. I mean, Tennessee led by double digits, I think, in every game. I think they led Kentucky by double digits for a, a couple of times in that game, but never felt like they were truly running away with it. They were just keeping it out of reach, like like the whole, like dangling the, the meat in front of a dog and make your, or, you know, whatever, in front of a horse to make it keep running, like the carrot in front of the horse. Like just keep dangling it in front of them and they keep trying to get it and they can't get it just out of reach the whole time until finally the buzzer sounds and the game's over. Or until you know Tennessee was able to pull away enough against A and M, for example, or pull away enough against Mississippi State, for example. It just it's it's interesting. It's just interesting to me to see the growth of this team. And there's another point I heard from someone that mentioned. You know, you never want you never wish a player to get injured. You never like when guys get hurt. But it almost feels like when Olivier Camwa went down, like forcing Rick Barnes or forcing the team to play those younger guys, forcing Jonas Adu into action, forcing Huntley Hatfield into more action and then saying, okay, it's now or never. Like you got to put up or shut or you're just put up or shut up. You're never going to play if you don't play now. That seemed to really help. That seemed to kind of find a different, I guess, depth to this team that if Camwell's in there, I don't know that they ever find it, but I also don't know if you maybe need it because Camwell was, you know, he's a really good player. He, he was developing into you know a breakout player for Tennessee this year in the post. But I mean, him going down kind of opened up new avenues and for Tennessee to explore from their bench. And I think this team is, we talked about it all preseason, Gene, talk about, you know, the questions of the post. And also when you get into February, March, how deep are you actually going to be? Do you trust the eighth guy out there that you can, you know, that's on your bench? Do you actually trust him to go in there and, and do things in, on the court? And I think Tennessee does. I think they trust their eight and nine guys, you know, number eight, number nine to go out on the court and actually produce and not just go out there to, you know, fill in a minute or two while you're giving the, the rest or, you know, the, the starter a blow. Like you actually trust Jonas Adu to go make some defensive plays. You trust Brendan Huntley Hatfield to give you at least effort. Now like he, he's giving really good effort now, whether or not he's able to convert on his offensive, um, 
opportunities is is kind of up for question sometimes but he's actually giving you you know a lot of effort and getting some rebounds and being productive and same thing with John Fulkerson he's getting rebounds and being productive in a way that he wasn't after the Arizona game for a long time there so I think this team is just they, they've embraced their roles and I think that's the biggest thing I, I, I feel like you mentioned that specifically about I think Bescovy or some I, I can't remember there's some game I remember you saying Gene that it felt like they'd embraced their roles, and I think that's a, a perfect way of talking about this team. It feels like they've they've all kind of said, okay, this is my role. I can go outside if I need to, but this is kind of what I'm supposed to be doing for the team. And it seems like they've it's got them clicking on, maybe not on all cylinders, but it's got them clicking on enough cylinders to be a really dangerous team to face right now. So every season's new, and what happens is – you know, you go out and you find the best sort of collection of talent um, that you possibly can and, and try to see what you can do, you know, to make your team as competitive as possible. So we look back at the 18-19 team that this, you know, that this team is kind of being, you know, there's been some similarities along the way between that team and this team. But you look at that team and you look just how the pieces just kind of fit together. Then you went to, then you go to the 19-20 team, those pieces never fit. Um, last year they were kind of top heavy, but they weren't all that good in the grand scheme of things. I know they won a lot of games, but it was kind of a mismatch roster where you had some guys that you were having to play a lot of extra time. Um, Eurosh hadn't developed what he is now. Olivier was still just kind of just running around. You know, you had the, the kid at what Cal State Fullerton or whatever, and the city or wherever he's at now. Um, you know, you had guys like that who just couldn't really help this team and so when you put this roster together this year, there's no way of knowing whether or not this is going to work. I mean, you look at the questions that surround the roster. What are they going to do for an interior presence? What are they going to do at this thing? Are the freshman point guards, the freshman point guards, they usually struggle in March. See Ziegler yesterday, got hit some shots, also had six turnovers. You know, Chandler's had his issues. I mean, obviously no turnovers yesterday in 37 minutes. Um, so you kind of look around and you're like, okay, will these pieces fit? And they're going to get enough shooting. How good is Powell going to be? It's a great addition. Hasn't worked out that way. Um, you know, Huntley Hatfield, man, it's going to be the next E-Pons. You know, E-Pons on steroids. Hasn't worked out that way. Although he's been, he's obviously developed into a pretty solid player uh, as we've gone on. What's Josiah going to be? Josiah is starting to play a lot better over the past few weeks. Mm-hmm. So you, you never necessarily know how the pieces are going to fit. You know, it's why it's just important to try to get the best collection of talent. Again, I don't care about rankings. I don't care what they are. What's the best collection of talent that, you know, that helps these pieces come together as a team? And what people are seeing now is these pieces have come together. Like you've got, there's no, I think what works is that there's no pride with these freshmen, these freshman bigs. There's no pride in any of the freshmen. Like it's not, you know, a lot of guys come in and they're like, oh yeah, I gotta get my numbers. I gotta, you know, they'll look over, well, man, I, I need to be getting those Kentucky numbers. I need to be getting those numbers like this guy. Or those Duke guys, man, they're putting up numbers. You know, this, you know, this one and done guy over here, he's he's putting numbers up. And, and I think the the best part is like, you know, those guys have just kind of figured out how they can be successful by just doing what they do best. You know, you've got Chandler, you've got Huntley Hatfield, you've got Adu, you've got Z. I mean, it's not often that you get a kid who's as, you know, highly regarded coming into college as Adu, um, who basically spends half the season on the bench. Mm -hmm. The first time that we actually realized, oh, this kid may be decent, was that second Kentucky game. That's the first time that he really kind of jumped out. I mean, there may have been some flashes and moments here and there, 
there was a, you know, there was a practice video of him, you know, blocking shots and showing his range off. But the first time we really saw what he could do, and, and that doesn't typically happen when you're talking about top 30, top, you know, top 20, top 30 freshmen, because they've got to, you know, they come in and they look, they want to play. They want to play. And, and so like that's made the job. I mean, you have, you know, more veteran presence as, uh, as like, like John Fulkerson and Josiah and Bescovy and guys like that who've been around for a while. That's, I can also big for Bailey in there too. I mean, regardless of his production, I mean, like the kid is a good, he's a, he's a good teammate. He's not out there. He's not out there pouting at the end of the bench when he's not when he's playing one minute like he did yesterday. Mm-hmm. He's out there, you know, waving a towel like everybody else. Euros, another great example of what what happens when you have young guys who may not know any better, but they just kind of just fit into the status quo of look, man, we're not about all that other stuff. We're about just, you know, these pieces coming together because this is our year. And I don't know what's going to happen in the next three weeks. But I know that if you are a Tennessee basketball fan or just a Tennessee fan in general, you have a lot of reason to be happy with what has transpired because this team has figured its roles out. This team is playing its best basketball. And I think that's going to have an opportunity to prove itself over these next three weeks. Absolutely. And you're talking about Josiah Jordan James and just his play. And obviously again, Kenny Chandler won the tournament MVP and I think he absolutely deserved it. He had, uh, in the three games, he totaled 15 assists and three turnovers. Like that's that is elite point guard play, especially this time of year. 15 and three, that's a, a five to one ratio. That that is that's exceptional. That that is again elite point guard play from Tennessee. And you mentioned Ziegler too. That you know he he struggled, but he made some shots. But he he absolutely struggled with turnovers and stuff uh, during the tournament. But he he did at least make some shots, kind of when it was important to make them. But he didn't have a, a great tournament overall. Josiah did. Uh, I'm looking at counting the tournament, looking at just kind of his last six games, which have all been wins for Tennessee. Um, he's averaging 14 and a half points, 7.2 rebounds, 2.8 assists, 1.5 steals, 1.3 blocks in his last six games. And he's making 51.6% of his three pointers, which is insane. And also making uh, basically 82% of his free throw attempts in that time as well. 51.6% of his threes, Gene. And he's, he's not just attempting like, one or two per game. I'm looking at the last six games. He went two for four against Auburn, three of seven against Georgia, two of three against Arkansas. And in the SEC tournament, he was four of six against Mississippi State, two of four against Kentucky, and three of seven against AM. Like he, he he his offensive output has been just phenomenal. And again, he's not it isn't like you expect him, you're not expecting him, he doesn't have to go out and score 15, 16, 20 points in a game. But if he gives you that, if he if he's consistently giving you thirteen to 16 points in a game along with his defense, along with what he does that doesn't even show up on the stat sheet, along with getting seven, eight rebounds in a game. And and again, he'll get a couple steals here and there and block a shot or two, but other things he does that does not show up on the, um, on the stat sheet. He's the huge X factor. I mean, Kennedy Chandler in the point guard play for Tennessee has elevated them to another level. And I think that's part of it. Part of the reason why Josiah has been able to elevate his game to a different level too, is because He's got a legit point guard or point guards, even in some cases, you know, being able to run the offense, being able to do other things to help free him up to be a more productive player. And he's been more aggressive. Yes, he's been shooting really well from three, but also looking at his overall, his two point uh, field goal attempt numbers, too. And he's a, he's been attempting, for the most part, more twos than threes, which was not the case earlier in the year for him. And that's a big case you and I have talked about, I mean, multiple times on this podcast about he needs to be more aggressive. He needs to stop just settling for threes and 
actually put up some twos. Because I'm looking at earlier in the year, there were, what, four, five, six, I think six or seven games in the first 15 games of the season that, that Tennessee played where he didn't attempt a single two-point shot. And he had put up, you know, excluding the Vanderbilt game where he played four minutes, but he would put up like four or five, six, sometimes seven three-point attempts in those games. And he wasn't making very many of them because, again, defenses weren't respecting him and were able to, you know, do you know just able to defend him and, and as one dimension play now he's more he's more dimension multi-dimensional and it's also showing in his elevated free throw attempt numbers i mean he, he's attempting a lot more free throws now uh per game than he was earlier in the year too so he's he to me as you know kennedy chandler deserved the mvp of the tournament in my opinion but i think really like real and truly the the x factor has been triple j it has been josiah jordan james and his his uptick in his play has been one of the biggest reasons why Tennessee has, you know, elevated their play. And I think that, you know, not to blame to point too much, but I think he, he he's a real, he's a real, real integral piece to this, this puzzle moving forward for Tennessee as we transition into the next topic, moving ahead into March. And, you know, you can add a little bit more there if you want to, Gene, but um, we'll move into the tournament topic. You can, you can add a little bit more about Josiah or anybody else you want to before we move into it. Yeah, so I was just going to make one little um, weird analogy. Uh, I, I don't know when we what? were kids. I always like your analogies, Gene, so go ahead. <laughs> so when we were kids, you know, you're in elementary school, middle school, or even high school, you know, every summer you would go through the same process. Right before the new school year started, everybody would go get new clothes. So on the first day of school, everybody wanted to show off their new outfits. And I liken that to Josiah shooting because that's a kid who put a ton of time in in the offseason working on his three. I mean, I got news flash to everybody. Like, it's not like he just started working on his three-pointer like during the season and he got in and all of a sudden he's hitting it. This kid put in an, ama- an amazing, a ridiculous amount of work. I don't know how much work, but I can tell. Um, he put in a, a tremendous amount of work to get better at that part of his game. So the season starts. And so, of course, he's like, hey, man, it's first day of school, baby. Get these shots up. And he wasn't hitting. And then people start, you know, started, you know, doing the self-check thing where they just basically would turn their back every single time he would get the ball. And so, of course, he go through a little frustrating time. And, you know, but I think, you know, it's a case where you got guys who um, – you know, a lot of guys will get, you know, they'll figure out guys who can do a lot of different things in a basketball court. Some people can just walk on the court and just start shooting like threes, like anytime, anywhere. Justin Powell is kind of that person. It doesn't matter. You put him in at 10 minutes ago at 954. If he's had open shots, don't let that thing fly. Other guys kind of need to maybe see the ball go in a couple of times, maybe make some layups or whatever. And it, it seems like that's kind of what Josiah is. I mean, like now, I mean, now he's in everything. Like, I mean, he was, I think it was, what, the third or fourth possession. He hit that three from the corner, and you could kind of see where this game was going. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, and, like, look, the only difference between Josiah now and at any point in his career, and specifically the past couple of years, or if I, you know, the last year, is that he's hitting shots. It's the only difference. Yep. Everything else is still the same. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, still getting, he's still guarding, you know, other teams' best players. He's still grabbing rebounds. He's still – I mean, look at the other stats of his. I don't know. I'm not looking. I know I don't have them up. But I guarantee that there's not much difference between his other stats, the non-shooting stats now, 
and his early seasons. Maybe the assist numbers, maybe a little bit more down, a little bit down, uh, because you know he, he's not as much his usage isn't as high as it used to be. Uh, maybe his rebounds, maybe a little bit more, maybe up a little bit. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not here to. I, I don't know that, but. I'm saying the only difference is the fact that guys start to hit shots now, and, and the confidence that he's playing with. I, I, look, it's no, it's no wonder that kid's always smiling now because he's got reason to. Because like that's, you know, everybody's st- stared at that star ranking, and you know, crucified. I mean, I'm talking to coaches, man. I got a, a coach friend of mine that's like blowing my phone up. You know, I think it was the, the first LSU game, the one down in Baton Rouge. And he was just talking about how sorry this guy is, and I'm just like, look, man, he's. He's got to figure out some stuff, but he's better than you think. No, I don't care. I know the, I know all about the counting stats. I know I don't care. Five-star player, five-star player. And I saw him actually on Saturday or yesterday doing mea culpa because he's like, I was hard on him. He's playing. He can play. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's like some – it takes people different amounts of time to figure stuff out. The guy that I watch, I've seen the past few weeks um, is a pro. What level? I don't know those details. I don't know those details. Can't say. But a guy who can shoot 35, 40% from three at his size, he still has a pretty good handle. He may be, I mean, he's, I, I think he still struggles to finish at the rim, but I mean, mid-range jump shots and all this stuff and the other. That's a guy that can play for money. And uh, I'm, I'm glad to see it happen. But um, it'll be interesting to see just kind of what happens as we go forward. I mean, you know, they've got a, a, an easier sort of contest. I kind of let you set it up, but it looks like they've got a – I don't want to say a layup. It's something this time of year is a layup on the men's side. Um, I guess a Longwood team that's ever been to this tournament before. And we'll see just kind of how they kind of prepare for this uh, sort of battle. Yeah, real quick, you, you were absolutely right about Josiah's numbers and, and how they, they're basically the same in other categories other than his basically his points per game. Because you look at his rebounds, he's averaging 5.9 on the year. Previous two years were 5.5 and 6.5. 1.7 assists, which you're right, they're down from 2.9 his first year and two last year. Steals are 1.5. They were they were basically one and 1.4. Blocks is 1.1 and basically one and one for the last two years. So, I mean, yeah, everything else is, again, like you said, across the board, pretty much the same as they were. And that's just, what, again, that's just what is on the stat sheet. But his points per game went from 7.4 his first year to eight last year. Now he's almost there at that. At, 10 points per game. He's averaging 9.9 points per game now. So he's almost averaging double figures in points and the very good chance he does that. I uh, guess that, that I guess that mark in the NCAA tournament, you mentioned it, Gene, I'm going to go ahead and transition into it. Tennessee is a three seed in the NCAA tournament. So before we can get the matchup, I, I do want to touch on this a little bit. I wasn't shocked. Like I genuinely was not shocked. I, I saw it coming from a mile away. I knew Vol fans were getting their hopes up for a two seed. And I thought, I don't think it's going to happen. It'd be nice if it does, but I, I fully expected Tennessee to get, I mean, honestly, disrespected and not get the two seed because when I talked with Eric Haslam of Haslametrics on a, on a podcast last week, if you haven't listened to it yet, you can go back and listen and hear what I'm talking about. We talked about that. He, he mentioned that, you know, he's been doing this, I think, for six, seven years or just kind of doing the bracketology and stuff. He's been following college basketball, you know, for decades. Um, but that, from what he knew about the selection committee and the conversations he'd had about it with, or had with people and, and all this different stuff with, with the NCAA and everything with the selection committee stuff that they basically have things kind of locked in seating wise by the, the Fridays, like the, by, by sometime Friday afternoon in, in, end of the day, Friday, whatever 
of, of the that weekend or like going into that selection Sunday weekend, they basically have most of the things locked in except for, you know, unless there's a surprise automatic qualifier that they, they weren't expecting. They'll, that, that kind of changes things a little bit. But for the most part, there isn't too much switching around in your top really four, you know, I guess like top four seeds for each region, like the top 16, you know, teams, whatever. There's not really a whole lot of switching around. And that made me think, so even if Tennessee wins this, this SEC tournament, which at that time I didn't have a whole lot of high hopes for, but that made me think, so even if they get the SEC tournament victory, they're locked in as a three seed. And that's basically what Haslam said. He said, you know, I think Tennessee's locked in as a three seed. Could they move up to a two with an SEC tournament victory? Maybe, but I don't, he's like, I, even then I don't think they move up because he says, I think you're, you're looking at who's locked in as a one you're going to have to have a couple teams lose as a two and it's going to be, have to be one of the bottom teams. And that just didn't really happen for Tennessee. But Gene, I, before we kind of talk about the bracket and, and Tennessee's draw here as, as the third seed in the South, the biggest point of contention for Vol fans and, and for me too, is the fact that Duke got a two seed and, and Duke not only got a two seed, but they got it in the Greenville, South Carolina region of the uh of the west or excuse me of the yeah of the west i mean granted they they did they, they did draw gonzaga as the one seed so if they keep advancing they're going to play gonzaga i don't think duke's good enough to beat gonzaga but duke is clearly the i mean where they're placed at they're the the weakest number two and tennessee's not even as the the top three seed i guess if you're gonna look at it that way the top three seed would be uh purdue which i, I think makes sense purdue's been a pretty darn good team this year but um I think the biggest point of contention for Vol fans was that how is Duke a two when you look at every single metric? And I, I, I agree with this. I made the same point in the live stream when it comes to rankings, when it comes to strength of the schedule, when it comes to your you know record against those top 25 teams or record you know and the quad one victories and, and whatnot. Like Tennessee had Duke beat in every category. It just felt, it felt like whether it's true or not, it felt like the committee was, you know, doing this as a, Coach K farewell farewell tour. Let's give him a spot in Greenville as a two seed. Whether or not that's true or not, like I I didn't I don't know about that. Like I don't I'm not huge in conspiracy theories, but it does feel that way. And it is Duke, and it is Coach K who's been around for forever. But even still, my whole point, even with saying that, yeah, I agree, Tennessee got disrespected, but I didn't truly did not care heading into the you know the the six o'clock hour of the selection Sunday. I didn't care if Tennessee was a two seed, a three seed, a, a six seed or what. I, all I wanted for Tennessee was a favorable draw in the bracket. And I kind of think they got it. They they could have gotten a lot worse of a, of a bracket gene. So we'll get into that in a second, but I, I will say that it, it really doesn't matter a great deal. What your, your seed is. And in fact, Tennessee getting at least a three seed here, not, not like they got a four where they had to play, you know, potentially the one seed in the, uh, in the Sweet 16, they're going to play two seed, which will be a rematch, and it's not going to be an easy one if Tennessee gets there. Most likely, again, that things weird things happen in the tournament all the time, but it's more about your draw and more about the matchups you have in your bracket. And if, I think Tennessee got a pretty decent. Like, if, if I involve fans, like, yeah, be upset and say, you know, the selection committee, you know, whatever, you know, they they did Tennessee wrong. Tennessee got disrespected. And yeah, I think they did. But that's just another thing for this team to wear another chip on its shoulder. Get motivated. You know, if, if do the whole Nick Saban thing we, we talked about on this podcast before, Gene, you talked about it with, uh, I think you've mentioned Saban before multiple times or other, other teams saying, hey, man, uh, take this as disrespect. I mean, if, if anything else, just, just motivates you more to go out and say, hey, look at what we did here. We just went and won the SEC tournament. We've won seven in a row. We've beaten some really good top 20 teams in those seven games. 
and you still didn't want to rank us better than a three seed and not even the number one three seed, okay, we'll just go prove you wrong again. We'll, we'll, we'll go and show why we should have been ranked higher. So I, I looked at it as, yeah, they get disrespected. It didn't shock me. But also, I think the draw is okay. And also, go prove them wrong. Just go, you know, where's the chip on your shoulder and say, hey, you have that, that attitude of the don't pick us type of thing you did a couple years ago, which I know didn't work out in the long run because Tennessee got bounced in the second round. But again, I will I'll, I will take this to my grave as believing this. If Kyle Alexander didn't get hurt in that game, Tennessee wins against the Chicago. But, Gene, your thoughts. So... I think the bigger, you know, we talked about this before the podcast started, but I, I do think the, I don't think the difference between a two seater, I think the, the number is something that is pretty, if you're talking two and three, it's pretty obligatory. I mean, it doesn't, it, 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 you want it to matter because you want to feel respected. I, I get that, but it doesn't really matter. I mean, if the seats hold up, the only difference between you and Villanova is two seed is the jerseys that you wear. If you were the two seed and Villanova was the three seed and the seeds hold up, and I don't think they're going to hold up because I think that um, I think UTC is going to crash this party without back-to-back wins because Seth Davis said they're going to the Sweet 16, so why should I believe that? Um, but if the seeds do hold up, am I right there that the three seed is Villanova? I'm sorry, the Tennessee's the three and Villanova's the two. Yep, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, then yeah, the only difference is the, the colored jersey you wear. It's, the, it's it. It's the it's the only difference. Like I said, I mean, I understand, it, and I understand that some fans have gotten their hopes up, and you got writers that are out here saying they should be a one seed, they should be a one seed, they should be a one seed. Um, real, you're probably right. It, it would be my response to that. You're probably right, but there was never a time when anybody had ever talked about that happening. Nobody had ever talked about Tennessee being a one seed ever. Ever. And I'm not saying that, that they should. I'm not saying that that's right or wrong. I'm saying they had never done it. it it's kind of like the whole Lenardi conversation yesterday. Look, man, if, the dude's a bad messenger. That's simple. <laughs> he's a bad messenger. He needs to just be quiet. Yeah. But he's he's literally taking his cues from the committee. And it's like they're and they're shuffling him out there like Roger Goodell, like the commission. I mean, sorry, like all the own NFL owners do Roger Goodell. And say, hey, take all the bullets for us while we run up and hide in the corner. And that's kind of what I felt like happened with Lenardi yesterday. Like, he's a bad messenger. He didn't get the message across properly, but he was literally out here just speaking for the committee and saying Tennessee won't be a three, won't, won't go above a three seat. Everybody's yelling it. Like, you know, and you have analysts that are yelling all this stuff. Yeah, they should be a two. They should be a two. Analysts aren't part of that committee. And that, yeah, is that an issue? Perhaps. Is it... it is it an issue that Tennessee should have been a two seed? Perhaps. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. So you're gonna again, you've got to win six games. Like again, the biggest issue is figure out how to get by Longwood. Yep. Figure out how to get by Loyola. You know, you know, figure out how to get by Villanova if that's the case. You know, figure out how to get by um, am I forgetting the one seed? Arizona. Arizona. Figure those things out. Because you're going to have to play those teams. Like, look, I, I mean, and, I, and I've seen all the discussions on social media about, man, we should get rid of the conference tournaments. Well, maybe we should have those conversations all across the board where you have, you know, if you want to have that conversation, let's talk. 
nobody seems to care about those conference tournaments when UTC's hit an amazing shot. Needed an amazing shot to go in at the buzzer just to mm-hmm. make the tournament, even though they were the one seed in their own conference. And those 18 games would have been rendered meaningless if that shot you know, goes any other way, if that shot does not go in. I mean, like, we can't just sit here and change rules because it didn't benefit Tennessee in this one case. And, and, if, and if we're going to have that discussion, how about we have a conversation about Texas a and Yeah, absolutely. Because what did, it, what did it matter for them? Like, you know, A&M fans are like, y'all are mad because of what? You're a three instead of a – because you may have to wear orange jerseys as opposed to white in the Sweet 16. What about us? You know, we knocked off the – we knocked off everybody. We knocked off two, what, top 15? I don't I don't know rankings. I don't really pay attention to the top 25. Uh, they're at least top 20. So we knocked, yeah. off, the, we knocked off the number uh, the number one seed in the SEC tournament and the number four seed in the SEC tournament. Four games in four days to get to this point, and it didn't matter. In a conference that's either number one or number two, depending on what metric between them and the Big Ten, which I think is slightly overrated because they're typically always slightly overrated. Uh, look, you know, get past Michigan State and show me a team. You know, Michigan's made some runs, but not anything to show for it. Um, but slightly overrated Big Ten because uh, all the riders are Midwestern riders, and so they push them all up and pop them up all year, uh, whereas SEC's a football conference. So, therefore, during football season, the SEC gets all the push. It is what it is. Um, but, yeah, like, I, I mean, I get it. Like, it's, it's disappointing. You wanted to have that nice fat two next to your name. You got a three doesn't change anything, man. Like, if, if you are what we think you are, you'll show it. And it's that simple to me. If you are what we think you are as a program, if we think you're, quote, unquote, Final Four good, national championship good, then you'll prove it over these next two, three weeks. Because if you want to – I mean, it's a pretty bad argument to sit there and say, well, you know, we lost in the Sweet 16 because we were a three seed, not a two. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Nope. Yeah. It doesn't. You're going to have to win six regardless. You're going to have to win six. So how about we just go out, you know, go out there, you know, enjoy this process because it, it's not, you know, like there's a lot of teams that aren't getting this sort of opportunity. And if you want to get caught up in the little small details, minute details, it is what it is. But Lenardi and those guys were pretty much telling you, you were just telling them that he was stupid because Jerry Palm put you in as a two seed or whatever. When, I mean, look, these guys, look, you like it, like them or not, they've been doing it for a pretty long time. Like they, I mean, they're pretty solid at what they do. So maybe we should kind of take their word for a lot of this stuff because I don't think Minardi missed so many, if any, of the teams. Um, yeah, I don't think he missed so many, if any, of the teams. He may have missed, obviously, placements, but he was pretty much on everything else. Like you said, he's been doing it long enough. He 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 has connections. Like he 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 talks to people. He's he's not just doing it based off of his own opinion. He's doing it based off of other things. And it, it's like you said, he's just <laughs> he's a bad messenger. And maybe he doesn't need to talk all the time. But hey, let's talk about the actual bracket, Gene. Let's talk about Tennessee's actual draw uh, because I I do kind of look at the bracket as a whole because I think it's just it's just a weird bracket for Tennessee when you look at this season and kind of recent history in terms of potential rematches but let's look at who Tennessee is playing first and that is Longwood who when I first saw that I, I was thinking that was a team is that a team from California no it's a team from Virginia apparently I, I did a lot of I did some research on them uh, on Sunday and then also talked about them a little bit in the live stream Gene their head coach just like not even that like not even a decade ago 
wasn't even in college basketball. He was he was a guy who graduated from Virginia Law, who was a chief financial officer who started like a I think a, a multi million oil and gas company, and then he. I think he had like started some kind of like high school youth league stuff. He had ties to people who were in coaching and stuff. And then he was named an assistant coach on the, like on, uh, for UMBC. And then a couple years later, they go and, and, you know, shock the world and beat Virginia. And then he gets named the head coach at Longwood. That is one of the, before we get into detail about the team, that is one of the weirdest coaching stories I've ever heard. A guy who is a CFO at one point for a, an oil and gas companies or an oil and gas company is now a, a head coach for a program that was that had one winning season since they joined Division One like eight like twenty years ago, and he has led them to their best season in, in program history by far. Like that is just such a weird and kind of cool, honestly. Like if Tennessee wasn't playing Longwood, I'd be rooting for him. Like I'd be like I would like to see them make a run. But it's such a weird and kind of cool uh, story to have as a guy who is a, a CFO is now a coach and has led his team to a twenty six and six record and, and fifteen and one. In, in the Big South. What was Brad Stevens? Wasn't, wasn't that similar to him? You know, I think you're right. He had – I'm looking up what he was. Yeah, I, yeah, he, he, he wasn't was in coaching of, before but yeah. for a while, yeah. But it's similar um, regardless. I mean, but, yeah, like – so there's a kid from – there's a kid from my hometown that is uh, – that was at – he spent a little time at Longwood – this is long before um, they've got a kid there now who transferred from UTC. Um, so and he, he's not, I think he's sitting here. I think, I don't know either that he's just not playing. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I, I'm a little bit familiar with Longwood only because of that. I mean, I'm not sure. I felt like they were D2 at some point, maybe. Yeah. They were, like they were D2 like was, 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. When I, I, so, so we scrimmaged them when I was in Carson and I, I remember that I just, um, yeah, and they, they're a good story. Um, we'll see how good of a team they actually are because I don't know much about, like, who they played. Like, they, they played the games they had to, but the unfortunate thing about some of these leagues is what happens is with all of the – with all of the conference realignment and stuff, I don't know who's where. So I don't know. I'm sitting here looking at this, and I'm like, okay, well, is there, is there a win? Like, they lost by 11 to a Western Carolina team that I saw now that that team that was the Carolina team split with UTC, but I mean, that was not a good team uh, that UTC team checked out of the first game and yeah, up there and then beat them by like 20 at, at, back at home. Um, I mean, again, I'm just glancing at their roster. That's not a good lead. No, yeah. No, I think how, no. yeah. I mean, like, yeah, it's, you know, good for them. Uh, maybe you kind of get me on the fact that in the championship game, let me check here. Uh, yeah, you get me on the fact that they beat Winthrop by twenty something in the championship game, and DJ Burns, uh, former Ball, had fourteen yep. points in that game, and <laughs> I'm pretty sure DJ Burns was uh, conference player of the year. So, I think he was. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure that I saw that he was conference player of the year. So, beating them by twenty, I don't know how good they are, but I and I'm pretty sure Winthrop's got a new coach. Um, yeah, yeah, they got a guy from they got the guy from Western Carolina, ironically, I believe. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, like, I'm sitting here looking at this, yeah, because I'm seeing some Western Carolina players. Um, yeah, it, they're a good story. They're not a team. They're, they're not quite, like, the sort of team that I think can compete um, in, in, in March. Like, it's a big day. You know, last night, yesterday was a big day for them. Um, 
you know, getting a 14 seed is better than, you know, there's some 15 to 16. So you're not like, you got a small amount of respect from the committee enough to where they didn't slap the slap a 16 on you and sing into Dayton tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't expect this to be a game. I mean, it's, it's an, like I said, it's a nice story. It's a nice situation for them and, and great accomplishment for what they're trying to do. But I don't see this ending in any way other than a citizen victory. The way I said it on the, um, the live stream on, on Sunday is that they're, they're a, a pretty good, like they're actually a really good big South team. Like they, they handle their business in the big South. But then when you remember, when you remember who some of those big South teams are, Tennessee played a couple of them this year, Gene. See if you remember anything about these. USC Upstate and Presbyterian, two teams that Tennessee smashed. And I'm talking about like they, they held USC Upstate to 36 points, which was the lowest amount of points Tennessee's, a Tennessee opponent had scored against Tennessee in the shot clock era. So that's the that you know to your point that's the conference that that Longwood's coming from and they again they did their business handled their business in their conference went fifteen to one and won the tournament there to get the automatic qualifier but Tennessee against Big South teams this year I mean that was back in the early season before this team gelled and became what they are now like I, there, there's there's a I hate to say minuscule because this is March but there's a very small chance that Tennessee loses this game like it, it just is what it is and I'm not gonna you can't, y'all can't blame me for jinxing because I said a small chance. I, I gave Longwood a chance to beat Tennessee, so you can't blame me if the unthinkable happens in this game on Thursday at, at 2.45 Eastern. But Longwood's, they're a good story, like you said, their first time ever getting into the NCAA tournament. I'd be interested to see how many like teams, their first time ever in the tournament, they actually won You know their first game ever because it hasn't happened. I feel like it happened somewhat recently, but again, this isn't this isn't the type of team I think that's built for a you know to pull pull off an upset against a, a caliber of a, of a Tennessee especially they do shoot the ball really well from three I, I will absolutely give them that they are average they're, they're shooting 38 percent from three this year Gene which is 18th in the country and you know so that they can actually shoot the three ball really well but they don't have size and I, I said this in the live stream too none of their guys who play consistent minutes are taller than six seven and again Tennessee is not some you know gigantic team but Tennessee's going to be able to beat them with their length and height, like easy. And even Josiah, Josiah, excuse me, Josiah Jordan James, who's six, six, like he's going to be as big as their biggest guys. They have a, a six, seven, two twenty five forward, a six, seven, two fifteen forward. And a guard who guard forward, I guess, who's listed at six, seven, two ten. Like Josiah is as big, if not bigger than all those guys. And then you also throw in the fact that you have Huntley Hatfield, you have Fulkerson, you have Urosh, you have Adu, who are all, all taller than those guys and, and probably more athletic than most of them too. I, I just don't see them giving Tennessee too much problem. Can, can they come out and hit some threes early on, especially and make it a little bit, you know, a little too close for comfort at some points. I absolutely think they can, but this isn't a team that I, I think is, is built to pull off an upset against the three seed like Tennessee, especially. So again, I, I think they're a good. They're a, a, a fun story, a, a good Big South team. But Tennessee has just dominated the Big South teams they've played this year. And again, that was back in like November and December. So now we're in March, where Tennessee's playing a lot better, and they're going to be motivated, I think, too, um, to go out there and try to p- prove people wrong about being a three seed. So Gene, let's look ahead a little bit here. Let's look at the uh, let's look at the South bracket that Tennessee's in. For one. Your Chattanooga box, the team you cover, Gene, is in there. So I, I think it's really cool. They play Illinois, and, and you and I were talking before 
we start recording here, I actually think that's going to be an up. I, I think ten, I think uh, Chattanooga wins that game. Like I, I really do. Illinois is not as good this year as people I think expect them to be. Um, they're still not a bad team, but I think Chattanooga has some legit just weapons on that team that I I would not, I'm very glad Tennessee didn't get matched up with them. I'm glad they weren't a 14 seed. I'm glad that they get the 13. I thought maybe they could maybe get a 12, but I'm glad Tennessee's not facing them. I would not want to face um, UTC in the first round. But anyway, so you're looking at kind of just the bracket in general. You have two teams that Tennessee faced already this year as the two seeds that are ahead of you. Arizona's the one and Villanova is the two. You look in the same little, I guess, portion of the bracket, the region where, where Tennessee is in that bracket. And if Tennessee beats Longwood, which they, they should, they'll play the winner of Colorado State, Michigan, which I fully expect to be Colorado State because I don't think, I don't think Michigan deserved to get in. But if it is Michigan, Gene, that's a rematch of the 2014 Sweet 16 that all of all fans remember that controversial block charge call against Jarnell Stokes that went against Tennessee and Tennessee lost that game. You also have, if for whatever reason, uh, Loyola Chicago and Ohio State play, those both have ties to Tennessee. Loyola Chicago is a team that you know bounced Tennessee from the tournament uh, in 2018. They'd have to play Villanova most likely, but it's you know anything can happen in March. And Tennessee could match up potentially with them in the Sweet 16, or they could potentially match up with an Ohio State in the Sweet 16, who Tennessee has played twice in the tournament in the Bruce Pearl days. And you know once against Greg Oden and them and those guys and and, and what's his face uh, Evan Turner. Was Aaron Kraft on one of those teams? No, never mind. Um, but that was uh, like that was back in the mid two thousands when Tennessee played them and had that blew that lead uh, in the Sweet Sixteen. And they almost got to to the Elite Eight, and then they did play them. I think again to get to the Elite Eight. Man, if I can't remember, they played them. They played them twice. I remember. I think unless I'm remembering incorrectly. But anyway, that, there's still a tie there. Like in in the last fifteen years, Tennessee's played Ohio State in the NCAA tournament. Had a pretty memorable, you know, game against them. And again, you already have Arizona and Villanova, who Tennessee played this season. Like it's just, it's just interesting to me. Like I know the committee didn't know all that stuff. Like they didn't, they knew none of that, and they didn't do anything of that with any of that mind, except maybe maybe Arizona and Villanova. I don't know, but they know the other historical stuff with Michigan and Ohio State and, and Loyola Chicago or whatever. But it's just such a interesting bracket because I think Tennessee matches up really well with a lot of teams in on their side of it, and I think Tennessee with the rematch. Potentially, if Villanova in the Sweet 16, which again, that's assuming we get chalk, which I I feel like we will because I think Tennessee and Villanova are just better than the other teams that they could potentially be playing in in the first two rounds to get to that Sweet 16. Tennessee's a better team than they were when these first two these teams first two uh, first two oh my goodness when these two teams first played there we go Tennessee's a better team than they were then Kenny Chandler is definitely a better point guard than he was back then. I kind of like Tennessee's chances in that rematch. But I don't know if I like Tennessee's chances in the rematch with Arizona. They, they won that one, obviously, in Thompson Bowling in Knoxville, and that was a huge crowd in that game. Um, but, Gene, I, I, overall, I think this is not a bad bracket for Tennessee to be in. I think there's a, a legitimate, definite shot and like a, a really pretty decent shot at getting to the Elite Eight. That Final Four, it would be better, in my opinion, for Tennessee if Arizona got upset before they had to play them. I don't know that it'll happen because Arizona will, I think, easily win their first game. Then they'll play either Seton Hall and TCU, which probably will will beat that one. And then, Gene, I think they have a good shot of playing Chattanooga in the Sweet 16. I, I, I honestly really do. It's either going to be them or uh, Houston or UAB, I think, because I, I really do think Chat wins against Illinois. But I think Arizona's going to make it to the Elite Eight. And Tennessee, I think, is one of the few three seeds. I think that's got it's getting picked 
I think on par or maybe even more so than the two seed in the region to get to the Elite Eight. I think if this team gets to the Elite Eight, that I had someone ask me in the live stream, is that considered a disappointment? And I would say no. It's your second ever Elite Eight as a, as a program. Like that, the, the furthest you've ever made it as a program, you got there with this team. I would take that. Like I would 100% take that, especially if, if you lose to the one seed. Like if you lose to a, a five seed or a 13 seed, if Chattanooga gets that far, Gene, that's a different story. But if you lose to the one seed in Arizona in the Elite Eight, like that's not a disappointment to me. Like that—that that is, you got as far as your program has ever gotten, and then you ran into one of the the top four teams in the country. Like that's—that's that's not a disappointment to me. So I, I this this is just a, such an interesting bracket because again, I know Vol fans are upset about not being a two seed, and I understand that, and I you know agree with you. I think they they had the resume to be a two seed, but your draw in that South region isn't bad, and Villanova is a good two seed. But there's some better, like, I mean, they're not one of the the most, uh, I guess, I guess most, the two seeds I've had the most fear about in my life, like thinking back to the, the NCAA tournaments of years past. Like, they're, they're a really good two seed, don't get me wrong. Two seeds this year are weird. Kentucky and Auburn both are two seeds. I don't, I don't know. Like, I, don't, I don't feel great about any of the two seeds this year. Duke is a two seed, and again, we know how I feel about them. Nova's probably the one I feel the most, like, confidence in, but they have to run into one of the best three seeds, in my opinion, in Tennessee. So, like, it, it's just such an interesting bracket in the South region that I think Tennessee has a legit shot of getting to the Elite Eight, and they actually have, a, I think, an okay shot of getting to the Final Four. And it, I feel crazy for saying that, but this team did just win the SEC tournament, and that hasn't happened in 43 years. Can this team, Gene, go do something that Tennessee's never, ever done before and get to the Final Four? They can. I don't know if they will, though. But they, they, they are more equipped to do that than probably any Tennessee team I've seen in in my lifetime, at least. So at some point, the luck has to work out in favor of UTC. I'm sorry, DC, uh, of Tennessee. Like, the, <laughs> like so many things historically have happened. I mean, with like some really quality teams. But look, man, like this year, this time of year is 40 – I'd say about 50% skill and 50% luck. Oh, yeah. Because you can't determine anything that happens in any of these other games that don't involve you. So, no, the Loyola thing in, what, 2016? 18. 18. 18, I'm sorry. Uh, sorry, I just got some news. Some assistant is leaving Tennessee. Uh, I don't know. You'll have to probably look into that. Some oh, well, we have some Tennessee. breaking news to cover here on the podcast. Uh, something. Uh, but... You know, at some point, the the luck has to work out in favor of Tennessee. Uh, the shot has to fall. The foul has to not be called. The shot doesn't – the shot can't get blocked. Some kid off the bench can't go three-point crazy. Um, like, with, with the things that have transpired, um, it, it, at some point, it has to work out in your favor. You know, like – Things and look in the SEC tournament, things worked out in Tennessee's favor. Auburn has kind of been a kryptonite in, in the tournament. Uh, you know, they get beat by Texas A&M. So at some point, this maybe this is the year that some things work out in favor of Tennessee because it usually doesn't. And I'm not talking about the draw, it doesn't matter. Um, I'm specifically talking about like maybe the brackets, like maybe you know, maybe UTC or UAB. Uh, or somebody knocks uh, Arizona before they get to the Elite Eight. 
you know, maybe you put together a great performance and you're able to beat uh, Villanova in the round of 16. You know, maybe, you know, you get past Loyola or, or whoever the seven, the other seed is in that Ohio State uh, in that 17 game. You know, at, at some point, things have to work out in your favor. If you can be, I mean, like this stuff isn't about who is the best team. Like college basketball and college football are so, you know, just different in, in how they go about it. You know, the postseason is just, you know, unless you're playing the, the college football playoff, I really care. I mean, I guess, you know, fans care about their particular team. But I'm not watching the college football playoff. I don't really care. You know, I mean, I, I may tune in for a few because I'm not watching bowl games. I don't care. Um, whereas a lot of people have that same approach towards whether they see some college basketball games. Um, but, like, their season, like, so much is being put into this part where it's a lot more about luck because of things that are outside of your control. Um, you can, you know, you're, you're going up against the sorts of teams that may have a style that you're not accustomed to. You know, say Tennessee was a play at UTC. Tennessee's got, I mean, UTC's got three power five level bigs as a mid-major that they can throw at them. You know, I mean, like that's three good, like different, but, you know, sort of players. I don't know if, I mean, maybe Kentucky's kind of close, but they're not even like that this year. They're not built that way. I mean, who is Tennessee face that is just like big, heavy, but also has really good guards? I mean, I'm trying to think. I don't know. I mean, yeah, like I don't that's, know either. that's why you try to play the sort different sorts of teams. Like sometimes people ask, well, why are they playing this team? Why are they playing that team? I remember, you know, a lot of a lot of people, yeah, I remember talking to a former UTC coach about scheduling. And he told me he would never schedule Georgia State. This is back when Ron Hunter was the was the head coach. I'm like, why wouldn't you why wouldn't you play Georgia State? It's an hour and a half trip. It's a pretty easy trip. He said, because they play a solid defense that we'll never see at any other point during the season. And so, like that, you know, you're going to come across different sorts of matchups and teams that do things a different way throughout the course of the season. I'm sorry, in the in the postseason, are you prepared for that? How many ways can you win games? And, you know, the questions are still out there about, I mean, they'll, they'll always be there for me as far as like Tennessee's ability to, when they're not hitting shots, to win games. Um, but look, if, if they continue to hit shots, we'll never have to answer that question. And that's the beauty of the game of basketball. If you do something so well that nobody can stop it, guess what? You're going to win a lot of games. And right now, Tennessee is shooting the ball so well, they're going to win a lot of games. So, I'm looking at a situation now where you've got a Tennessee team that's playing its best basketball. Everything at some point, things are going to work out in their favor. Like they're playing great basketball. Like I don't see that stop. The fact that there's only what seven, they play Thursday. So what four days in between the last game and the next one. Mm-hmm. It's not like you're talking about two, three weeks in between games. So you're, you're talking about a team that's hot and wants to keep playing. And so those are the, and those are the sorts of teams that you can kind of figure out some level of success. You know, success. I'm not necessarily saying this is UConn in 2010 with Kimball Walker, because uh, you're talking about one just dude who just played amazing for what ten games with the Big East tournament in NCAA. But you have a team of guys who are playing really good basketball now. Like who's playing bad basketball for Tennessee right now that plays? I mean, it's kind of a weird thing, but I mean, because you're not playing good, but. Everybody that is put you're putting in the game, everybody that is playing is playing probably some of the best basketball that anybody has seen mm-hmm. them play. Josiah Jordan James, Kennedy Chandler, Vescovy is always consistent. Fulkerson, you know, is playing really well at times when he gets in. Um, 
Huntley Hatfield's had some moments. Or Adu has had some moments. Like everybody that they're pretty much putting in that's playing like quality minutes is produced Ziegler. I mean, like everybody. And that's the sort of team that you don't want to face. I mean, we can talk about like these little lower seated teams, the UTCs, the world. Yeah, I don't want to face that team. I ain't trying to face Tennessee anywhere. Anywhere. Like I've just, just seen that team. Forget about the C. I don't want to face that team. And that's a credit to what they built here. And so I think this is a really good opportunity for them. The next time we sit down and talk about this, you know, I think that we talk about our teams in the Sweet 16. It's had two quality victories, two pretty, I don't want to say easy ones, but two pretty solid victories. And look at this point in the year, just to be play, just to be sitting down on Monday and, you know, get ready to game plan for another opponent, that's a win because there's a lot of teams that'll be going home Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday this week, or Tuesday and Wednesday technically because of um, those first four games but there's a lot of teams like what 32 no 48 go home 48 you know 50 teams are going home 52 teams i'm sorry yeah 68 to 16 52 teams will go home yeah i know finally (laughs) uh we'll go home this weekend so if we're sitting here next monday talking about a tennessee team that is still alive that's a credit man and uh is it credit to everything they've done and everything that they'll still have the the opportunity to accomplish as we get ready to break down that Tennessee Villanova and uh, UTC Arizona matchups in the Sweet 16. Ooh. I, I I think I I do genuinely think it'll be UTC at least advancing in one round and I'll be interested to see if they play Houston or UAB because I think that's a potential upset here but Gene you were right we have uh, some breaking news to talk about here on the podcast so when you are listening to this it'll be I guess a few hours old the news will be but uh, Tennessee, it's a pretty, I don't know, big, like, I don't say big loss, but it's a, it's a noteworthy one, not super surprising, but Michael Schwartz, uh, Tennessee associate head coach is tabbed as the next head coach for ECU, the East Carolina men's basketball program. According to Steven, I go, I, I go, I, I, I used to know him because when I lived in East Carolina, uh, looked at ECU and stuff over there. And he's a guy who he writes for the two, four, seven board over the, the hoist, the colors, for the ECU two four seven site, but Stephen Igoe, I think I go. I'm not sure how you say his last name, uh, but he's agreed to become the next head coach of the Pirates, pending a board of trustees approval on Wednesday. The board is set to meet at 3:30 p.m. Eastern time in the afternoon to approve the contract. He's been uh, at Rick, as Rick Barnes's top assistant in Tennessee since being elevated to the associate head coach role prior to the 2019 season. He's 45 and has been with the Vols since 2016. He's a native of Los Angeles, which I didn't actually know, but coach of Texas, Long Beach State, UTSA, and Miami, Florida, Fresno State, and Tulsa, along with his time at Tennessee. And there's an interesting Tennessee tie here with ECU, by the way. Uh, ECU Athletics Director John Gilbert used to oversee the Tennessee men's basketball program during his time with the Volunteers and worked alongside Barnes. So Gilbert and Schwartz crossed paths for one year at Tennessee before Gilbert got the Southern Miss 80 job, and Gilbert's son's uh, Gilbert's son, Ken Gilbert, is a sophomore walk-on for the Vols. So a lot of interesting little ties there between ECU and Tennessee. There, that was also where Dave Hart went for uh, a second. I think he was there for as a, some sort of AD. Role. He may, actually, he might have been the actual AD. And then he served as a some sort of associate AD role there at ECU. So there's a lot of weird connections between ECU and Tennessee um, over the last few years. But ECU relieved their former head coach, Joe Dooley. Interesting. Uh, Dooley of his duties this past Friday. Uh, Dooley, in his second stint with ECU, went 15-15 and this past year, 
marking the first time in eight years the Pirates program did not have a losing record. So it's interesting that he was relieved of his duties, though. Uh, his program overall the last four years compiled a 44-67 and 67 record, including just a 16-47 and 47 mark in the AAC. So their, their past season 6-11 and 11 mark tied for the most wins for the program in the AAC since moving to there in 2014. So it's interesting they let go of Joe Dooley, even though he put up the best year they've had in a while. But hey, I guess you feel like you can make an upgrade. Go make an upgrade. And now Michael Schwartz is the latest in uh, now what's becoming a, a pretty long tree of the Rick Barnes coaching tree. And Gene, this report, and I've tried to find other ones on three reported on it too, and a couple other people have mentioned it. I haven't seen anything that's mentioned whether or not Schwartz is going to stay with Tennessee through the NCAA tournament. If the board of trustees is, is making the, the decision on Wednesday about it, I don't know. Like it, it, that'd be interesting. I don't want to speculate on that too much because I'm sure by the time this podcast is out, we'll we'll know whether or not he is. But um, that's interesting if he's going to stay with Tennessee or not. And also, this kind of ties in. I wanted to kind of finish out the podcast with some SEC coaching news, and now this happened, so it kind of ties into it still. Do you think to replace Michael Schwartz, Tennessee promotes from within, or do you think they go hire a uh, I don't know a Frank Martin? as an assistant coach or somebody at like in that caliber to go uh, be an assistant coach under Rick Barnes. Cause we know how Frank Martin rolls the defense. Rick Barnes and Rick Martin are best buds. I mean, I, I don't know that aside from maybe John Calipari, I don't know that anybody loves Rick Barnes more than Frank Martin when it comes to the coaching, you know, fraternity out there. So I don't know. I don't know that that'll happen. I, Frank Martin can go get a head coaching job somewhere. You know, I, I don't know that he would take an assistant coaching job. Maybe he will, but It'd be intriguing to see if Tennessee promotes from within because there's a couple guys. I think the video coordinator is one that pops to mind that could be promoted to an assistant coach. But does Tennessee go from within? Do they go look for a, a young kind of rising star type of guy like they did with Kim English you know, a couple years ago to kind of try to fill that spot? Or do they go with the savvy veteran and, and a guy like Frank Martin? I don't know. But it, it, this is interesting, Gene. It, it, again, it's not a huge surprise. Michael Schwartz has been a guy who... I was kind of surprised he didn't leave maybe last year, last off season to go get a head coaching job. He, he he seemed like he was destined to go be a head coach sometime soon. And now he gets to join the, also I didn't say this before, but congrats to Rob Lanier, who was a former Tennessee assistant, who is now the head coach at Georgia state. You got to play Gonzaga in your first game, but Hey, congrats on making the tournament nonetheless, but you can join the likes of, of him, of the likes of Kim English of, um, Oh my goodness. The ETSU. I just forgot who's the head coach there. You can remind me, Gene, but, um, Des yeah, Des Oliver. He, he can he can join the ranks of all of those guys who have been at Tennessee. And there's another one I'm, I feel like I'm forgetting that you used to coach here that is now a head coach somewhere. He, he can join those ranks of guys who coached at, un, under Rick Barnes at Tennessee who are now head coaches somewhere. But I'll I'll be very interested to see who Tennessee replaces him with. But again, not a huge surprise that Schwartz is going to be a head coach somewhere at a smaller program. Right. Well, it's interesting. What's interesting about that to me is what I would have thought um, I, I would have thought that he would have been in play at San Diego. Um, yeah. But just because, LA ties. You know, yeah. I thought that he would have been in play there. I actually thought he was going to be in play at UTC if, you know, if, if, and when their head coach moves on, because that's obviously when you have the success that he's had, Lamont Paris has had, there will be people talking. Um, I mean, I can say, you know, Georgia had reached out, you know, to Lamont, uh, there had been some, I don't know if there was mutual interest, but it was what it was, what it was. Um, I think Frank Martin's interesting. I think I heard his name kind of mentioned. Somebody tried to mention his name with uh, 
was it UMass maybe? I don't think it makes I don't think that makes any sense, but um who knows? I mean, like I you know, I'd heard his name, you know, mentioned with Miami before they started winning. Uh because obviously he's from there. Uh, and, and so uh we'll see where Martin ends up. I think you spend a lot of time as a head coach and it's kind of hard to then take a step back to being an assistant. Um especially when you had the success. I mean, he had the final four um, a few years ago. And, like, that's – like, Schwartz is interesting. You know, I, I, again, I think that's, you know, obviously good for him. You know, that's a guy who's been waiting his turn, just waiting his turn, just waiting his turn. As guys that he coached with got jobs quicker than he did. And I think the guy you're talking about is Chris uh, – I think he's an assistant at uh, – he may be an assistant at Texas now. But I think he was a Texas uh, yeah. UTSA or or UTEP. He was one of their he was their head coach for a little bit. I think let me, he's let me look up the Texas old Rick Martin staffs when he first got here, <laughs> and I'll tell yeah, you. It was one of Ogden. Ogden. Yeah, Chris Ogden. Ogden. There we go. Yeah, uh, but but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's great opportunity for you know for him. We'll see if he you know stays on because that's kind of like he's the defensive guy. That's that like that's his job. He's the defensive coordinator and. We'll see. And obviously, they, they've really done a great job on that side this year. Like, even when they weren't scoring, like the defense, they've not lost games because of defense. Um, that that travels, that carries, they've always done a good job with. Um, I don't know. I can't, I, I don't know enough to really just spitball names. Um, like, I, I guess, you know, you've got guys who will up on Barnes and staff because they realize it's an opportunity. Um, you know, we look. You know, we look at some of the, you know, the previous coaches. Kim English. I think he's going to get a shot. I think he's going to at least get a, a, a really good look at Missouri. You know, obviously he's from there. Uh, he's a, he's like a legend there. And you know, I don't know if he's done enough at George Mason, but you know, he he's obviously recruiting Baltimore very hard, recruited very well, and that could be enough. Um, that could be enough to give him a, give him a chance. Um, so. Like, I don't know. It'll depend on what Barnes wants to do with this next hire. Does he want just like a guy who's going to be around? Because you're, you're, a, the thing is, you're allowed to have, you know, Lanier. I mean, to a lesser extent, Lanier, but you're allowed to have the staff that you have with guys, you know, Beard and um, uh, Gatlin, guys who are, you know, have a chance to be a head coach in a year or two. You're allowed to have those guys when you have a guy like um, Schwartz. Mm-hmm. who has been through everything, you know, like Lanier, who was, who hung around as long as he you know could until the right opportunity showed up. You're allowed, you can't have a whole staff of guys who have one foot out the door. And I'm not suggesting that these other guys do, but it just seems more likely that they're, I don't know if there's a, a lifer sort of guy, a guy who will travel with, you know, Barnes from stop to stop to stop. And so uh, I think he's probably going to want to go stability with that next hire. I mean, a guy that he trusts, you know, I mean, the Frank Martin thing is interesting there if he wants to take an assistant job for a couple of years. But, again, that's the same thing. Like, you know, yep. if you're going to do it for a year or two, is that really good? But you don't really know, I, I guess, it's the bigger point. Like, you don't really know, like, how long you're going to have these guys, the connections they have. I mean, you're talking about the Gilbert connection and all that and they had the former athletic director. Like, everything has worked itself out for Schwartz to sit back. I don't know how great of a job the ECU job is. Didn't was it wasn't ECU the school that there was the kid that was Tennessee was recruiting last offseason, the, the like the six five post player or something yeah. like that. Um oh my gosh. Uh, who was that? I looked it up. He went, he went to a power yeah, five but, school. Okay. Um 
and I'd be interested to see how he did because uh, yeah, I'd be interested to see how that. Yeah, it was did. it was Jaden Carter. I didn't have very. I personally didn't have very high hopes for what he could do at the next level. Yeah. It was it was it was Jaden Gardner. He went to Virginia and averaged fifteen point three points, six point six boards. So never mind. Bad. Uh, His three point shooting. Well, he he didn't really attempt any threes. He was he was all right. He 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 made fifty one and a half percent of his twos. I mean, he played. He started all thirty two games for Virginia, so he was a consistent guy in their uh, in their starting rotation there. So yeah, I mean. I don't know how good of a job that. I don't know. You know that league is decent. You've got mm-hmm. brands, but that that league is also falling apart a little bit. With you know, Houston's gone. Um, I can't remember everybody. UCF's is gone. Uh, yeah, I can't remember everybody that's leaving. But Houston. I mean, I sorry to Houston. Memphis is still there for some weird reason. I thought I thought they'd go after Memphis too, but um, yeah. I mean, like it, it's maybe it's a decent job. It's going to pay well. You know, American jobs are usually in the one to one point three, I guess, million dollar range. I just I'm just assuming you can't, you know, you can't that that league has got money. Those are big those are big cities, big brands. Um, there's money to be made there. And so he's gonna have a chance to build something there. He's gonna have a chance to develop something there. Uh, so good for him and we'll we'll see what happens because I mean if he if he gives us two years, there'll be seven SEC jobs open because that's kind of how it works in this league. Uh, for the quality of the ECU job, they haven't had a winning season since the 2012, 2013 season when they went 23 and 12. And that was back when they were in the conference USA. Um, before that, the last winning season they had was 1996, 1997 when they went 17 and 10. So they, uh, they don't have very many winning seasons, Gene, and they've only made, uh, two NCAA tournaments ever. And they have not won a game. They've made it in the 1993 NCAA tournament, which I assume was because they won, the CAA tournament because they were 13 and 17 overall. So it had to have been because they made, they won the tournament uh, in 1993, uh, the year I was born, which is weird. And then you go back to 1972 as the other time they made the NCAA tournament and lost in the front. And again, they were 14 and 15 that year. So they must've won their, they must've only ever made the tournaments because they were won the tournament and they happened to be just like a surprise too, because they were not very good both the times they've made the NCAA tournament. So uh, not a very high quality job in, in men's basketball for ECU, but you're right. Like, I mean, that, that's an opportunity for Schwartz. I think it's interesting that he's getting it when Joe Dooley got the team to a 500 record this year and was the first time they'd been 500 uh, since the 2014, the 2013, 2014 season when they were also, you know, at 500 when they were 17 and 17 under Jeff Lebo over there um, that, that, you know, back then. But yeah, I think you're right. I think that's a really good point about, you know who would Barnes hire? It doesn't need you know kind of be a, a quote unquote lifer guy, or, or does he have that on the staff as a guy like Justin Ganey that on the staff? Because Ganey is a guy who is I don't, he's not old, but he, he was he's definitely not old. He's in his forties, uh, but he's born in nineteen seventy seven. He's from North Carolina. He hasn't I don't think he has been a head coach. He's never been a head coach. Doesn't mean you know he he's been in the coaching rank since oh six. He was at NC State as an administrative coordinator. Then was the director of operations there, and then went to go be an assistant coach at Elon in 2009. We talked about him; like he's a guy who's been. Uh, I think was he the no Rod Rod Clark was the guy in the JUCO ranks, but Rod Clark's my age. Like he, he literally, he was born a month before me. Uh, he's 29, so he's a guy who has that kind of up and coming feel to him of a guy who, you, you, like you said, I don't know that he's a 
a long-term guy at Tennessee. I think he's another guy you could see potentially go and get a, a head coaching job somewhere. But but Ganey is a guy who has 15 years of Division One coaching and administrative experience. I, I I wonder if he's maybe a, a more long-term was more of a long-term hire than than Rod Clark. And then again, if that's the case, if Barnes views him as the long-term guy, does he go out and get someone who you know, like you said, is going to be here for a season or two, and then can, and and then feels like they can bounce? So I don't know. That that's a really good point you made that I hadn't really thought about that Barnes has had more stable guys who's been here, who have been here for three or four years while those other guys have kind of come and gone. And Schwartz is definitely one of those guys who'd been here for a, almost for the entire Rick Barnes, you know, era at Tennessee, he'd been here. So um, that's a very good point. Again, that's why I felt like you said, he just kind of waited his time and waited his time. And hopefully this is a great spot for him. Like, like you said, it has the connections there with, with Gilbert, who also has a son as a walk on at Tennessee. I uh, just find that interesting, but there's, there's a lot of other stuff we could talk about. We could go on for another hour if I, if I wanted to really bring up the LSU stuff, the Georgia stuff, the Florida stuff. But Gene, we may save that for another episode because there was all kinds of coaching movement in the SEC with Will Wade getting fired, Mike White jumping ship from Florida to go to Georgia, Frank Martin getting fired at South Carolina, Conza Martin getting fired at Missouri. <laughs> it was a, uh, it was like it was pink slip weekend and Monday for SEC coaches. And I don't know that we're done necessarily because I mean, obviously Florida has got to go hire a coach. I wonder if Ole Miss hangs on to Kermit Davis. I, I don't know. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting too, Gene, to see if anybody comes after your boy over there at UTC here in the SEC or, or just in general, just anywhere else uh, at a you know bigger school than, than UTC. But uh, I'm going to go in the podcast here. Thank you all so much for tuning in for this. And again, if you missed the live stream, go back and rewatch that uh, on our YouTube channel but also subscribe to the podcast while you're here as well. Thank you all so much for listening in. If it's your first time, if it's your 20th time, if it's your 60th time, thank you all regardless of how many times you listen to the show. We really appreciate the support. You've helped us grow a lot. We're getting close to our one-year anniversary of the rebrand to Vol Basketball Fever, our first time ever talking about the NCAA tournament while it's happening. So got a lot of stuff planned for you guys, a lot of cool stuff coming down the wire. Again, did our first live stream on Sunday, so check that out if you haven't seen it yet and go watch the replay on our YouTube channel. We're Vol Basketball Fever there. We're at Vol Hoops Fever on Twitter and we're Vol Basketball Fever on Facebook. I don't think I've plugged those in a while. So go, go follow us and, and like the page there and leave us a nice five-star review on Apple and Spotify. Signing off for Gene, I am Nathaniel. This has been another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever podcast. Thank you for listening to the Vol Basketball Fever podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you never miss a new episode. Subscribe to our YouTube channel for more video content and follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Thank you, Vol fans.